0: so thank you david for for meeting with us thank you for agreeing to come on uh the 2152 project and help us be a uh, content creator for career and tech education as well as what we're learning um in our little small grassroots effort to crowdsource uh professional development um and so anyway, Wanted to give you an opportunity to just tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Um, your background, where you work, why you're passionate about the trades, about your foundation. Uh, so, so go off
1: okay, to go the ahead. races. Yes, thank you, Jason, as well as my appreciate your uh, time and uh, your interest in this. Uh, again, my name is David Richardson. I am uh, right about about 21 years in public education in North Carolina. Uh, on middle school and high school level, I've taught uh, communications, manufacturing, uh, construction. Now, and I've got uh, quite a history in manufacturing and construction both, and I, I see the the success that trades, and we think about trades being construction, but trades are also in manufacturing, trades are anywhere you're using your hand and and the technical part of that. And it's even down to cosmetology, if you care to look at that. I mean, these are trades that are cross border but nonetheless, they bring success, multiple areas. So student success, and we see the success that they bring to our employers, and that transfers to success in our communities. Our communities across this nation Need people that have skills and that have success, and that success makes our communities successful as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, with your background in the trades, is that really where your passion came from? Is that what led you to get into education to teach? Well, no,
1: no, it, <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I just probably, I guess, I don't know how I wound up here. I, I was in engineering and and we had a big layoff and somebody said, we need to be a teacher. And um, I said, well, I could do that. And, but, but what happened when I became a teacher, I saw, well, this we, we don't have success in schools because we focus on making every student a standardized student so that we can get standardized test data. That, right. that basically dehumanizes a person. So I don't see you as a person now. I see you as a number. And if you're a great, if you're a big number, I love you. And if you're a low number, well, as a teacher, you make me look bad. And so it's <laughs> negative. So, so the, the 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 educational environment is negative for a lot of our students. And we gotta be we gotta have positive. These students don't want to come back to our schools and be involved in a negative environment. We have to have a positive environment, and therefore we have to have models of education that meet their interests and meet their needs. So, so getting into education, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see this, and I'm like, oh, well, here's the problem. We, we've got to get multiple models and levels of education in our schools that allows everybody to be successful in their own interests. So I have, a, I have a learning disability. Um, so when, when students have learning disabilities and I see them in this singular model, of everybody goes to college, I understand why they're not successful, but yet we keep
0: trying to force that model on them. All right. And so how do you think, how does, how does trades and you, you kind of have alluded to it already, how does uh trade education, career and tech education, how does that uh, solve the, the the problem of the one size fits all model of the standardized model in your view?
1: Yeah, great. Great. OK, so what we really need to be able to do is we need to figure out what are students, what's your interests and what are your abilities? And I'll, I cannot. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I'm not smart enough to be a rocket scientist nor a, a surgeon. OK, but I have skills and, and everybody has different skills and we need to figure out what are those skills, what are those abilities and what are you interested in and then put you in an education model that fits those interests okay so if we can make learning interesting then the students are going to teach themselves you know we see it every day you see these people that modify their cars they modify their dirt bikes they modify their computers they modify sound systems in their cars they didn't learn that at school they learned Mm -hmm. it on their own why Mm -hmm. did they learn it on their own
0: so so you think interest drives that is that is that where you're coming from you think the interest drives that
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in baseball, you play baseball. If you're interested in football, you play football. If you're interested in learning about something,
0: you're going to teach yourself. hundred percent. hundred percent. So let's, let's look into the trades now. So we've talked about how trades is the solution, how career and tech education is the solution to a lot of that standardized model of, of education. Um, As you move forward with your students and you teach middle school, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. As you move forward with your students and as you recruit students for your program and have conversations with parents at parent's night and at, you know, whatever type of scheduling or registration night you have for your community. And uh, what are some of the, what are some of the stigmas that you want to talk about here and address with us on this? We've, We've got plenty of time, so.
1: <laughs> yeah thank you they, and you're right there are stigmas and these stigmas are driven from i want to say that stigmas are driven from education okay, our parents perfect. our grandparents have been told if you want your student to be successful they need to go
0: to college okay if you want a your pernicious student- lie, by the way a pernicious lie
1: yeah that's right that's right and, and on the on the same side of that coin If you want your student to be successful, they don't need to be in these lowly trades. And it used to be vocational education. Yeah. Vocational education has a negative stigma to it because that's where you used to put the slow kids. So when I went to school, that's where they put the slow kids. And the slow kids are not necessarily slow. They just don't have good test scores.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. And now, and I'll tell you this, so I worked for a fortune 500 company before and I hired people and I never hired a single person
0: to take a test. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: yeah. you know, so. Well, you I know how I
0: say that David, I say that uh, I've never heard of someone who retired from college.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, even uh, people uh, who
0: go to college are, are there for careers. Absolutely.
1: That's right. So, so vocational education got a negative stigma because well, That person over there, they don't really test really well, so we're going to put them over here. And they didn't fit the model. And since they didn't fit the model, we tried to push them out. Now, back in the old days, you could do that. But today, since we want to have everybody making a level four or five on a standardized test, those slow kids are now – we've taken the trades and the vocational stuff out because we have to have seat time. Yep. The more the more time that student sits in a seat and takes down notes and listens to instruction, the education culture, as I refer to them, feels that they're going to do better on that standardized test. That's why we've taken trades out, because we want that time focused on the school. We, want, we focus on the school system and the data. We don't focus on the success of the student. But back to vocational. So that's where you put the kids that didn't fit in. Well, I want to go ahead and tell you now, I'm going to say that roughly 65 to 70% of our kids no longer fit a standardized one size fits all education model. So if you are great and, and this is perfect. Hey, we need attorneys. We need doctors. We need electrical engineers, but what Mm -hmm. about the success follows other folks? Yeah. And so so 65 to 70% of our students are going to school but they're not getting an education that's suitable for them.
0: Yeah. And so that's something that Mike and I have talked about previously on some episodes of last season and um was the the fact that you have everyone and again look I, this is not a anti academia topic. Correct. I mean I'm a career long academic. I mean I mean I'm you know, hopefully soon about to have a terminal degree if I could finish my dissertation, but I'm about to have, you know, that degree. So I love academia and academia is a phenomenal environment for people who know they want to go to academia. But I think it's a very expensive environment for students who are exploring that. And I think one of the bigger problems that we have in, uh, in our, in our culture, education culture is the fact that we push so many students to academia, um, and we have created these stigmas that you have to be successful, and more than that, not only do you have to be successful, that you can't be successful if you don't go to college. That's the pernicious lie. This is not attacking colleges. This is not attacking. You know, it's not. This is just saying this one size fits all approach to post secondary opportunities is what has created a massive vacuum on the back end and skilled trades. You know, I, I live in a community uh, where the eye of Irma, not Irma, what's a hurricane that just came through? Excuse me, the, the one that just came through, it came right over my community. And and it was the first hurricane we've ever gotten in my community. Um, and it just devastated. I mean, I mean, trees on through houses, like we were shut down, and you know, emergency relief funds came in. Well, you know, we've got the emergency relief funds that have been declared, but you know what we don't have? people to climb on, climb on roofs and fix the roofs. You know, uh, we had to bring in people from all across the country to come and just get the trees off the ground right. because we don't have enough people in the skilled trades to do that because we've spent so long pushing students to academia that there, now there's that vacuum, try and find someone to come lay some brick or to, to come and, and I mean, there's, there's so few people available in that area. And the way I sell parents, David, with this is I tell parents is, wouldn't you want to give your student that type of leverage to go into an industry where there's no competition or very little competition and you can name your own price, you know, that construction. I mean, what, what an amazing opportunity.
1: And not only that, but you can set your own hours. You yeah. can work as much or as little. And yeah. if you do it right, and you continue to grow and you get a good name, you can start your own, you can be an entrepreneur and you can grow your business at yeah, that point yeah. in time, you can start apprenticing and start creating more people in yeah. that industry. They can leave your business and go start their own. There's that's, tr- trades across the board cannot be matched yeah. for the success that they can provide an individual.
0: Yeah. The success they can provide at a much lower cost. And I don't think it's any coincidence that that people tell you that the best solution that also happens to be the most expensive solution. I don't agree with that. Right. You know, skilled trades you know especially through dual enrollment I've got students who've gone through and taken classes and done things in, in in while they're in high school taking dual enrollment credits getting credentialed uh and they graduate with zero student loan debt making just as much money and I would even maybe in a different topic Mike can I talk about this as well um I think the bigger issue in our in our our country is not unemployment it's underemployment you've got someone who's gone to school four-year school college to get a degree in marketing and they can't get a job to pay their bills. So they stop, they go back to trade school to become an electrician and they're considered underemployed because they're, they're not utilizing their four-year degree, but they're making more money in the skilled trades than they could anywhere else. So again, a lot of that let's shift topics now. And and that was some stigmas that students face. Um, What about parents? When you talk about parents, when you try to recruit a student to come into your construction class, what are some of the, uh, what's some of the kickback you get from your students, from the parents of your students?
1: Well, again, and it goes back to education, the parents and and their parents, which are current students, grandparents, have always been told, you know, you need to go to college, or that's the only, and so when you approach uh you know, these parents, well, you know, manufacturing's dirty, construction's dirty, transportation's mm. dirty. Well, no, care is great only if they're a doctor, you know. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, that, that again, it goes back to how people have been conditioned and that goes back to how they were educated. And that's how I don't know, I don't know how like colleges and high school counselors. Have evidently all got together and said, "This is what we're going to push. This is the narrative. This is what everybody needs to focus on, and everything else is subpar." And uh, and you just just what you said, we have got a vacuum um, that that hopefully we can get this changed, uh, turned around and changed and yeah. fill that vacuum.
0: And I, I'm a big advocate of my counselors, and 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 I think counselors are doing that because they've been told to do that, they've been taught to do that. Um, right. But anytime you bring a new product to market the biggest obstacle is education, right? You've got to educate. And so my biggest advocates are my guidance counselors because, you know, we've gone through and they're, they're my champions. And so, um, I, I, I really think that counselors sometimes can get a bad name for doing that. Uh, but a lot of times it's, it's, it, it's the pressure again, the stigma where it's coming from, in from, from industry, whether it's coming from administration, whether it's coming from parents or students, it's, it's the pressure. and, and, but all it takes is just a few students to establish that proof of concept. And you get the uh you really get some momentum in a program like like a program that myself and, and that Mike run. So I love the fact that you mentioned dirty because every time I take people on industry tours in our community, Ace Electric, we go and see their prefab facility, they're like, Oh my gosh, this place is pristine.
2: It's like great. you can eat off the
0: floor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because they they're it costs them more money to be unsafe. If someone gets hurt, it costs them money. If things aren't organized and someone gets hurt, like they are incentivized to, so it is not the dirty environment. Now, there are times when you're going out and you're crawling under, or you're on a construction site and having to crawl under a pool wire through a closed space, that's different. But people are shocked when they go into there and they see how clean it is. And then we go into Steeda Manufacturing, another local industry in, in my community, and they're like, oh my gosh, like they're welding and their car parts but it's organized and it's clean and it's and it's yeah. efficient, and right. and my biggest one is when I talk to students. There's a huge need in my industry in my community for machinists. And when mm-hmm. you talk to a parent about machinists, there's still this idea, and I, and the name should should deter that idea. But there's still the idea that these are these you know these metal workers who are swinging a hammer on hot metal on an anvil. And I'm like, no, this is literally. Computer information systems, you're going and taking a block of aluminum, putting in coordinates, and this machine is cutting it out. You're doing it in an air-conditioned environment, right? and you're not getting dirty. The machine's doing the work. You're just programming the machine, but that's a skilled trade, and that's a trade that my local uh, technical college can't keep students in the program, David. Oh, no, that's as, right. a as as student and, enrolls, industry yeah. hires, we'll teach soon, you. Just come work for us.
1: Right. As soon as they get a, a base-level skill set, they're gone. And yeah, we got, we, I take my manufacturing folks. We got Timken and Bosch and Lee Boy in town here. And yeah, you just walk in, it's bright lit. The floors are clean. Um, you know, just, you just, you just can't, can't understand. But, but yet that's the stigma that everybody has. And also, there's one out there that, you know, that, uh, and I don't know where this came from, but I'll hear it right now and then. Well, those types of jobs don't have any security. Yeah. which is the furthest thing because hey once you get a skill set you can go anywhere in the world not just in your community any state any country and that skill set's needed i mean so the security is there you get those skills they're lifelong skills and then you can build upon them there's just nothing out there matches it yeah.
0: and I, I like that the security is there because in the trades you know it kind of goes back to that old school mentality like the handshake and the name like if you have a good reputation for for doing like, look, we remodeled our house about six seven years ago, and I was you know vetting people to come in and, and redo our wooden floors. And you know what the one the one factor was for me wasn't price. I guarantee you that it yeah. was it was the the, rep, the reputation and the name, and the character, of the person who I went with. And everybody said this company's cheaper. They don't go with them. They're going to do this 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 this, and they won't come back. And I said, this guy right here takes his time. He may be a little bit slower, but he's going to do it right. And if there's any issues, he'll come back and fix it. And that's who I went with, even though he was more expensive. So the name, the reputation, there's a lot of stability in that because, I mean, this this guy's retirement, the retiring age, I mean, he's in his late 60s and he's still doing wood floors because he's the best around.
1: That's right. And the same thing. That's stability. Yeah. Same thing happens. You know, you go to your favorite doctor, you go to your favorite dentist you yeah. know the, the name recognition and you you yep. take your car to the certain mechanic there's some things i do some things i don't and i've got a mechanic i don't ask this mechanic how much is it
0: going to cost I, when can you get to it yep and that's the stability you're talking about as i tell parents all the time if i need to talk to my accountant on friday at two thirty, it's probably going to be able to wait until monday right but you know who I'm not waiting to call? If I need their services at 2.30 on a Friday, you know who I'm not waiting to call? A plumber. I'm not waiting to call an HVAC repairman. Right. I'm not going to walk around in, in sweat in my own house. And you know that's what I'm not doing? You just mentioned it. I'm not asking them how much is it going to be. I'm just saying there's nobody else to come do this. I need you to come fix my AC. I'm not negotiating. Just send me the bill. I don't want to sweat in my own house. That's stability. Yeah, giving someone the ability to charge what they want for their services based on their reputation and, and services provided—that is unparalleled stability. And I'll even go a step further, David. What do you think about this? During COVID, do you know the majority of people who were laid off and lost their jobs? You know who they were?
1: Yeah, they, they were weren't
0: skilled tradesmen.
1: Or, no, they worked inside an office. But let me also go this
0: far: they were they were they were academic people with with, with diplomas and degrees and the skilled tradesmen are the ones who's and it, and I've got some some data to support that I need to go back and find it and I link it in here but um the the pe- people were at home because they couldn't go to work and they're looking at their their house and their roof said I need this fixed I need this fixed and this. and skilled tradesmen's work went went through the roof yeah. you couldn't find people to come work because they were so busy
1: well I'll, I'll and you probably hear this as well we always hear about the minimum wage you know people living on the minimum wage and how it needs to be raised well No, we don't need people living on the minimum wage, we need people with skill sets. And once those people have skills, then they're paid way above the minimum wage. And the minimum wage no longer becomes an issue because you go back to only high school people needing to rely on the minimum wage. Because if you have those skill sets, then mm-hmm. you go out and you get whatever job you want, and you don't have to rely on the minimum wage. You're making three,
0: four, five, six times the minimum wage. Yep. And here, here's what, and it's not quite that high for me, but here's what, and, and Mike pr- can probably attest to this as well. My work-based learning students, I think I've got one, maybe two, who are making minimum wage. The mm-hmm. average wage in my in my program right now, and those numbers aren't final because my semester's not over. It's over eleven dollars an hour. Yeah. You know. Now again, that's not like you know. Ton of money, but when I first started, my average five years ago, my average wage was like eight thirty an hour. Right. And so, when it now we're taking the trades talking again and how work based learning can be a solution to that, and work based learning students who are in career tech programs in these pathways, studying construction and then going from you to a high school program and having the coordinator leverage them in industry, it is a viable solution to solving some of the critical labor shortages and the gaps that our industries are seeing. Uh, And that's a stigma in the trade. So that's a good way to transition to, are you seeing any stigmas from industry? You know, is it the, is it just the, cause I get this one all the time. Is it just a, well, I can't hire anybody who's under 18. Um, But are you seeing any stigmas in the trades from industry? Well, David, I appreciate your passion for kids, but your kids can't do the work. High school construction kids can't do the work on the job site. You hear anything like that?
1: Yeah, and, and I do talk to legislators in North Carolina about what can we do to get these students into the trades. Um, in a perfect world, my vision would be when you're about 16, 16 and a half, you've already developed a skill set that's employable and you can yeah. leave the school and you yeah. can go apprentice. And then when it's time to graduate, you come back and walk. But you've already basically started work, so you leave the school. There's less classes, less buses, less meals you had to prepare because those people are already out there in in some type of trade. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a little bit. But but I think I, I think of uh, the biggest thing I run into in, is a stigma, and I don't necessarily know if it's a stigma, but a lot of the employers today are having trouble finding employees which are currently students that have any skills at all can they they can't do math they can't read they can't read a ruler they can't troubleshoot those are all things that we need to go back to doing in our middle and high schools that will allow these uh, students to be more successful faster so I don't mind community college and college but I really really think that the greatest return on investment would be trying to do as much as this skilled trade training in our high schools and yep. getting those folks the base skills that they need. They go to an employer. Most manufacturers will send you to college nowadays. Yes. So yes. let's get let's get the skill sets and, that they need. Put them in the put them on the shop floor with a manufacturer, and then let that
0: manufacturer send them to college. Yeah. And work-based learning again. The program that I do is when your students go to high school in a few years. And they're in that program. My job is to go in and recruit those students and say, I've got a, a construction company who's wanting to hire three people, a drywall person, two framers who has your. And then the, 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 the teacher tells me these kids have that skill set and that I actually put them in industry. They go out, they work, um, they establish their skill sets um, and they make good money. And, and another thing you mentioned, and they, they may often send you to college, you know. I've had students with a partnership that's about to be recognized at the end of this month in Phoenix for being the national business education partner of the year mm-hmm. uh, where we have a three-way, a three-way uh, partnership where my students go work for them and then they can send their students to college once they've been onboarded or go and dual enroll and then get those credentials and degrees. And case in point, I had a student who was 20 years old, two years out of high school um and he he got his journeyman license before he was 21 years old because he had done two years of that work in high school so now he's got a two and a half year head start on everybody else in the industry he's you know one of the younger uh if not the youngest journeyman with this company because he was able to work once and get credit three ways in high school on the job and in college uh and what a great environment for that so any of the thoughts on that before we transition to, you know, what are the effects of that? I don't want to cut you off, but any thoughts on that before we transition to our next topic?
1: Well, yeah, just what you're talking about. And 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 so many of our students, especially in the high schools, yeah, we, you know, they have to go through this maybe a, a history class. It may be whatever class it is. And that student is sitting there in that class and they're not participating in that class. So they're, they're really not getting anything out of it. So the taxpayer's not getting anything out of it. The teacher's not having any success. Yep. And that's where a lot of our discipline comes from, issues come from, is we've got students that we're forcing to sit in these classes. They have no interest in being in that class and they just become disengaged and disenfranchised yep. and they act out. Let's get them into something that interests them. And maybe by the time they're 16, they can leave the school, okay? So and, and so they've got a focus, they've got a purpose, and they are engaged. And once they become engaged, then they're no longer a discipline issue because this is working, this fits for me. This is you know this is something I want to do.
0: So this is really interesting because because again, you're talking about two episodes that Mike and I planned and workshop, but never got around to filming last year is work-based learning as a campus management strategy. You've already mentioned that, that taking students and putting them in industry, it it declutters your hallways. It's less resources consumed on campus. Now you're talking about work-based learning um, as a a discipline issue, you know, because if a student is in a class and they're uninterested, they're going to be bored and out. But if a student is engaged in content they're interested in now, there's going to be less discipline problems with that. Um, and so I am I am passionate about these topics uh, because of what work-based learning can do, not just for the industry and for the school, but for the student uh, and prepare them, make them a little more well-rounded. So, as we move into kind of our, our last topic here of uh, of these stigmas, I guess my, my my question is, if we don't develop a lens, you know, an astigmatic lens to contrast the stigma of trades, if we don't develop that. Again, that anastigmatic lens, what's the result? Like, what's going what's gonna to happen if we don't fix this, David? We're going to see more of what we have now. <laughs> so it is not
1: a bright future. Um, we There's a lot of chaos in our country. We see a lot of division, a lot of chaos and everything. I think a lot of that chaos came from what we did not do in education.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think this is probably a lot of people don't see it on this level, but this is why we have to fix education, because as an educator, we have the crystal ball. We literally have the crystal ball. We see what's coming up in the future. Yeah. And that's why we've got to fix it in education. And it has to go back to the elementary school. If we have to spend more money to get these students um, pre-K, um, just think of that pre-K investment versus an investment of an incarcerated person. Yep. Third, easy, grades are
0: a, third grades is a predictor for, right. how, for how much how much space they need in jails. That's what they use. They have for decades. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Frederick Douglass says it's easier to build strong men than, re, than to repair them. Yeah. And we've got yeah. to get back to building strong people. That have skill sets, that have belief in. See, you go to school and you get disenfranchised in school, you have no belief in yourself and yeah. you have no belief in the society that you're in because and now that's, you're talking
0: about social emotional learning. So, again, another exactly. education that's right.
2: are
0: that,
1: 100%. How are you going to, How? why do you want to be involved in something that should have helped you? But it, may, but, it, but it turned its back on you and disenfranchised you. And that goes really back to our underserved students the most. I mean, we've got, we've got generational underserved students, and, and we just want to get data out of them. We don't care about their success. We don't care about their future. How, how, what, you know, what are they going to do the next day? Well, they don't have any skills. Yeah, or should they've yeah. got that? They should about those skills in education. But we were more interested in standardized taste test data rather than you being a future skilled mm-hmm. successful person.
0: Yeah, and I'm really proud of my state. I think a couple of years ago we actually went from having eight end of course tests, two in each core subject, to they got rid of half of them. So we only now have four. And I still think there there is some value in establishing that benchmark for what students have right. haven't learned. Um, but I love the fact that. And again, another thing you hit on, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned tax dollars and investments in students and and something that, you know, I've said often every time I get a chance to actually is work-based learning, especially work-based learning in the trades, is a way to increase the return on investment for a community. Uh We invest in a student for 12 years, K through 12, teacher salaries, facilities, equipment grants, buses, fuel, food, everything. We pour in these kids K through 12 and then there's not a sustained or or passionate effort to retain that student in our community. And we just let them walk right at the very minute or moment they become a returnable investment on that asset. Right. So work-based learning is a way of taking your construction student, putting them with a the local construction company so that that construction company can retain that talent mm-hmm. and hopefully... Employed them locally, and now our community is benefiting from a tax dollars it took to educate that student. So again, man, I, again, we didn't plan this. We did very, very little prep for this interview because I wanted to be natural and organic. And I know, you know, I love, I love the, the things you post on on LinkedIn and your topics and ideas. And I just wanted that to come out. And I think it has. Um, any closing thoughts for us, Mike? Any closing questions? I didn't, I didn't ask anything. Y'all want to do before we close? We're, we're right about, right about time.
2: I. I got a lot of thoughts on this. Um, We're 30 minutes in, though, and I still don't feel like we really addressed the how, the one, two, three. And so I would love to have David, because last week I had two construction companies reach out to me and say, hey, Mike, I need some workers. And I said, you got it. So I put it out there and I had six students come back right away saying, I want to work. I want to work right now. And they said, but they've got to be 18. They got to be seniors. And I said, well, well, four of these students are juniors. They just want to go work. I said, they've got room in their schedule to put the grind in and they're willing to do it. And they says, well, they got to be 18. And I feel like we, we, to me personally, um, identifying problems without solutions is called complaining. And And so if I'm you, David, I'd say close this thing out by saying, how do we fix this? Give me the one, two, three on addressing the stigmas and fixing it. Because when I get a student excited and the parents shut them down, then I know where to put my work. If I get the students excited and the employer shuts them down, I need I, there, there's my work. But I don't want to complain. I want solutions. Um that's what leaders do. and but that's that's my thing is is wrap this thing up with with uh, with the solution. I would love it.
1: Okay, the the solution is we are going to have to go around the education culture. The administration level, they've got one skill, and that's standardized test data that generates funding. Okay, that's how we base our funding. They're not going to change because they've only got one skill. We're going to have to force that change. That change is going to have to be forced on them by the community, which includes your parents by the industry, business and industry both. And we're also got to to work through the legislatures, Okay, So um, your, your, your education culture also talks to the legislatures as well. And this is how they want things. The education culture wants it going this way. And I hate to say it, standardized testing is simple. It's easy. But if you go talk to the teachers, why are teachers leaving the profession? because teachers there's no longer an art of teaching it's content delivery mm-hmm. what do we want the students to know only what they know because we need standardized test data and that's taken the art of teaching away from the teachers and and they don't have it you know that's why they're there they want to be artists they want to shape that classroom they want to help those students but they can't because they're being forced to force students into a standardized model. And you know, anytime you try to force something on somebody that it's not gonna work. So uh, my analogy is this, a lot of times education is like trying to put a baby doll dress on a cat. That's what the students are. We're trying to put a baby doll dress on a cat and they're rebelling, they're disenfranchised and they're disruptive. And so we've got to change the culture I think changing the culture is going to allow us to get in to start adding these models of education. And I think if we can work through the legislators to get our uh, employment ages down to a reasonable range, I know there's some safety and insurance issues there, but we all got to get together and handle those. But you go back to the old days, you know, when, when uh, in the 17, 18, early 1900s, if you was a boy and you was 12 or 13 years old, your daddy bought you a mule and a plow and you helped farm. So you was in charge of a mule and a plow. If you was a girl, I knew a lady, she, she was 97. When she was five years old, she was climbing up on the counter to make biscuits. And she was actually cooking on a wood stove when she was five years old. That, that we can do those things, but we've got to get back to where we're teaching those things at a young age, that the independence, also the responsibility and the know-how we can change this, but it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big task.
0: Yeah. And you're talking about specifically like addressing the issue of, you know, obviously not that women should only be cooking biscuits, but we
1: would
0: not, we would not dare. I would not. And and, and so maybe I'm a hypocrite. I would not let my seven-year-old, she cooked eggs the other day without letting me know I came out and the eggs were cooked and I was furious. It's like, you could have burned the house down, Yeah, but it's because I haven't trained her how to do that. But you're talking uh, about someone who was five years old cooking on a wooden stove because yeah. they needed to. There wasn't OSHA there regulating it. There wasn't workers' comp sending out bills and mod notifications. And, and it they were the trying to get done and, and we trained them and they did it. Um and I would say if anyone's looking for a model for this, I think Georgia has a great model. And Mike, if Utah taught something, let us know. But Georgia has a great model for this. In that uh, we have a bill called HB 402, which incentivizes employers by giving them an umbrella discount on the workers' compensation policy when they hire a student who's in a work-based learning program. Uh, We have an exemption from seven of the 17 hazardous occupations when a student is in work-based learning from the, uh, the hazardous occupations in the Fair Labor Standards Act. So can't do any of those 17 things if you're under 18. But if you're under 18 and work-based learning, you can do seven of the 17 things when you are supervised in in an apprenticeship. So there's a lot of really cool ways to work around these safety issues. And we have to realize and understand, and I'll I'll put this in the link uh, as a comment after the video is done, but we we created a video in Georgia dispelling the stigma that I can't hire students who are under under 18. And that's not true. It's not true. It may be a corporate practice, but it's not a best practice. And it's certainly not a legal issue because workers' comp doesn't care. They care about your moderate. No, she doesn't care. They care about your safety rating. You can hire students under 16 in a manufacturing environment. You just have to do so with permission, with supervision. Um, and I'll post that video for anybody who's interested in doing that. Um, man, awesome conversation, David. Thank you so much. I know that we're going to t- discuss bringing you back in on our, our series after Christmas in the new year. On where We're going to talk about work-based learning and special education. And that's another unique, very passionate topic. Uh, that you have, can't wait to hear your opinion on that, um,
2: Mike. You want you want to close us out? Take us take us to the to the end. I think you guys are fantastic. I just appreciate being here. And David, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to, to be with you. us today.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And again, I appreciate what y'all are doing as well. Thank
0: you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys. Y'all have a great day. We'll post this again on our Inst- uh, not on our Instagram. We don't have an Instagram, Mike. What am I talking about? On our yeah. YouTube on our podcast and this will obviously be a archived on the two one five two projects uh, events page. So with that being said, y'all have a great day. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week.
2: Right, thank
0: right. you. Thanks. Take care.